Feminine. I am your host, Ramona Sidaway, and this is episode 43. In this podcast and YouTube channel, I discuss anything related to the feminine divine when it occurs in the scriptures, when I see the the likeness of it in the priesthood, divine feminine in mother in heaven, how it points us to her. I am a devout member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I do everything within that context. This channel is not endorsed by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I am a faithful temple covenant-keeping woman, and I express my views within that lens. And if you have any questions, then please feel free to reach out to me. I love hearing from my listeners and my readers, and I will... I would reply to every single email that I receive, every single comment. So thank you again for joining us in this episode. I want to talk about a fabulous essay that I read um, on the Square Two Journal uh, website. Um, I love this website and I will link it. You can subscribe to their newsletters. And this is an essay that was written in the spring of 2022. So fairly recent, just a year ago entitled The Matriarchal Order and the Ordinances of the Flesh. And it's written by Gwendolyn Stevens Wynn. Much of what I'm going to be discussing with you are quotations from this essay. It's it's pretty long and give my two cents and my thoughts. And of course, I will link the to this essay and you can read it for yourself. I highly recommend it. It's And I appreciate all of her thoughts and the things that she points out in this essay. And whether or not you agree or disagree, that's fine. But it's food for thought of us to contemplate our relationship to the priesthood because we all have power in the priesthood. Those of us who have been endowed in the temple were clothed in the robes of the priesthood, both male and female. It's equal in that. When we talk about partnership of men and women, of their equality, We have constantly been striving for this since before Adam and Eve left Eden. They didn't even have true partnership before they partook of the fruit. And ever since then, it was a continual challenge to create that partnership. We talk about partnership in in our homes, in the church, in our communities, in the nation. It's always been a subject of discussion throughout all time and also how we articulate that partnership how do we describe it what are the duties or the the purpose of the missions of each divine appointment and how do we bring that together as a partnership to work for the betterment of the church for the betterment of our homes for the betterment of nations hopefully the thoughts that we discuss today will bring us a little bit closer to that she has five sections that she talks about the first section is she entitles it the matriarchal order. We, of course, know what the patriarchal order is, which is a a priesthood ordinance that both men and women enter into together, and they cannot enter in this patriarchal order without the opposing sex, without the opposite sex. So the patriarchal is not, the patriarchal order is not the same as the patriarch or the patriarchy. It is a specific order that we enter into in the temple. We sometimes call it eternal marriage. We sometimes call it temple marriage, but it is um, the highest order of the priesthood that we engage in, we enter into in this life in the temple. And that has to be a man and a woman. 
but she refers to what are likened, what can we liken to women for that matriarchal order? She starts with birth and baptism. We know from Nicodemus when he went to speak with Jesus in the, in the nighttime about asking him, what can I do to enter into um, to have eternal life? He told Nicodemus that he had to be born, he had to enter into this rebirth. And just like most of the Savior's teachings, it had many layers of meanings. Nicodemus was confused or maybe it was just part of the, the whole act, but he had to confuse, like, how can I be born again? How can I enter my mother's womb again? One of a very important teaching of this, of the Savior's words, is one that we don't really talk about very much. And that is a layer of the importance and the necessity of having a physical body in order for us to enter into eternal life. We have to have that physical body. And because even within mainstream Christianity, resurrection is not a secure doctrine. There are some mainstream Christians who, while they accept the New Testament, they accept the Bible, they accept that there were witnesses, hundreds of witnesses that um, saw Jesus Christ physical resurrected body. They talked to him. They touched his body. They touched the marks on his hands and his feet. But then when you ask them, well, does he have a body now? Well, no. Well, what did he do with his body? Well, I don't know. It's not important. He doesn't have it now. He doesn't need it. Christ's bodily resurrection is just as important and pertains to our discussion as of the physical birth of gaining that body. Because if we don't believe in the sanctity or the sacredness of either one or the permanence of either one, then the discussion is moot. It's like, what does it matter that physical body, it's not that sacred if we don't have a resurrection. And if resurrection isn't permanent, then what does it do to talk about the birth of getting our physical body? It's the restored gospel of Jesus Christ that we know, number one, that Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father have a physical body that is essential to our entering the celestial kingdom, entering into eternal life is having that physical body. And even Jesus Christ, when he appeared to the saints at the, the Bountiful Temple, he referred to himself for the first time as perfect. He, in the, in the old world, he said, be therefore perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. But then once he was resurrected and appeared to the saints at the temple, he said, be therefore perfect as I and my father are perfect. So that physical body is an essential component to that perfection. We are perfected through Jesus Christ and through, um, and we are enabled to do that because um, we need that physical body. As we talk about the true nature of God, the true nature of the Godhead, Joseph Smith himself, he taught that the word Elohim ought to be in the plural all the way through, meaning gods. So if God the Father has a physical body, then God the Mother has a physical perfected body as well. And we learn from the scriptures that our physical bodies are made in the image of the Elohim made in the image of heavenly father and heavenly mother. We have that genetic and spiritual DNA in our very makeup of 
our respective gender, just like we are to think of ourselves as, as being Adam and Eve, respectively. We think of ourselves as becoming like Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and our bodies are an essential component to that. Elder D. Todd Christopherson taught, we know that our physical bodies have a divine origin and that we must experience both a physical birth and a spiritual rebirth to reach the highest realms in God's celestial kingdom. We understand this concept. We understand this doctrine. So when we talk about ordinances and the second birth, this rebirth, we refer to as baptism, and it is a priesthood ordinance, and it's got to be administered through the authority of the priesthood. It's it's an ordinance. And let me let me share, and this is from the church's website, what the definition of an ordinance is. Quote, in the church, an ordinance is a sacred formal act or ceremony performed by the authority of the priesthood. Some ordinances are essential to our exaltation. They include baptism, confirmation, ordination to the Melchizedek priesthood for man, the temple endowment, and the marriage sealing. With each of these ordinances, we enter into solemn covenants with the Lord. And I want to pause right there and remind um, my listeners, my viewers, that in order to enter into the patriarchal order, men must be ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood. Women are not required to be ordained to a priesthood. Quote, other ordinances such as naming and blessing children, that's an ordinance, consecrating oil and administering to the sick and afflicted are also performed by priesthood authority. While they are not essential to our salvation, they are important for our comfort, guidance, and encouragement. Ordinances and covenants help us remember who we are. They remind us of our duty to God. The Lord has provided them to help us come unto him and receive eternal life. When we honor them, he strengthens us spiritually. Close quote. So now you have an understanding what an ordinance is. There are essential ordinances for our salvation and the non-essential. They're necessary for us. They help us to live our covenants. Guidance, comfort, and strength. So remember this definition of ordinance as we continue on with this discussion. What if we acknowledge that our physical birth is in fact a sacred ordinance? For that is the gospel definition. I just read what an ordinance is, a sacred formal act or ceremony performed by the authority of the priesthood. And we understand that priesthood is not something that is just a male function. We all perform duties and have missions within the, with the priesthood. Priesthood is a power and both men and women exercise authority within the priesthood. They exercise and they have power in because I'm um, through the priesthood. If birth, we call it an ordinance, it then it is just as essential to our eternal salvation as baptism, then it must belong to another class of ordinances. And she refers to them as ordinances of the flesh. We've just discussed all this time before of how birth, receiving a body is essential. It's an essential ordinance for us to enter into to gain eternal life. Ordinance needs to be administered by somebody having authority. So what authority is the ordinance of birth administered? Which is an, a great question. Let's look at the fifth article of faith. 
And this explains how men are, are ordained to the priesthood. Quote, we believe that a man must be called of God by prophecy and by the laying on of hands by those who are in authority to preach the gospel and administer in the ordinances thereof, close quote. If we assume that women perform an ordinance by the authority of priesthood called ordinance of the flesh, then they must also receive physical ordination by one in authority. Men do not possess the relevant heavenly authority to ordain any woman to this task. Looking closely at female anatomy and development, and I'm quoting here from the from this essay, looking closely at female anatomy and development reveals women's ordination takes place while they are still in the womb of one with the necessary authority over the ordinances of the flesh. And this ordination is confirmed at their birth. And that is a, a one unique way of looking at that because this authority being ordained to a priesthood, to a purpose, to a mission, there were two times that it occurs, right? One is in our in our pre-mortal state and one in our mortal state as we are all ordained to specific missions and purposes on this earth and they are tied to our gender so men were foreordained i I'm, don't think all men but uh, some men were foreordained to be ordained to the priesthood in this earth life well women were foreordained to specific things based on their gender. And I believe that would be priestesshood. We don't necessarily call that in the church and it's okay. I mean, it'd be cool if we called it that, but we don't mainly because this foreordination, remember it's not the same as predestination, but this foreordination, part of our purpose is to be mothers of all living because as we think of ourselves as I think of myself as Eve, my husband thinks of himself as Adam and um, everything that happened in the Garden of Eden recognized. Well, she wasn't even named. She was recognized as the mother of all living before she and Adam ever entered into mortality, before she ever gave birth. And this is something very specific. We know that he was ordained to the priesthood before he left Eden. And she was ordained to the priestesshood, which is the mother of all living before she gave birth. So as important as birth is, and this is the majority of what we're talking about, there's other essential elements to that nurturing aspect of motherhood than the physical birth. We will go through how these are ordinances and sacraments and you know how sacred that is in our divine purpose and mission as women. The authority of the flesh then is matriarchal and all mothers ordain their daughters to it. This is her perspective, and I, I like this idea. Note how radically decentralized this matriarchal authority is in contrast to the patriarchal priesthood, the priesthood that the men are ordained to. Because regardless of age, ethnicity, religious affiliation, marital status, reproductive choices and opportunities, or biological anomalies, all women are ordained to it. This is just something that all the daughters of Eve are ordained to this sake. And we recognize that birth, giving birth is a sacred act. It may not always be in the most sacred of spots. Our savior was, and I talked about this in a different podcast about making holy the places that you stand, that manger, that that cave that the savior was born in where before it wasn't considered sacred. It wasn't like a temple. It wasn't like a home, but it became sacred 
when the Messiah was born and it was born of Mary, there are lots of different circumstances surrounding who, when, where, why, and how of birth, but the act itself is sacred and it, it doesn't change just the same as death is sacred. And we know there are horrendous ways and not so great ways of death coming about, but it's still, it is a safe, it's a sacred moment. And as we talk about how all women are ordained to this priestesshood, we must also reiterate that gender is not a costume. It could not be taken off or put on at will. It is ordained of God and it doesn't always center around the genitalia because that is not you know, there's a small percentage of female babies that are born without ovaries or born without a uterus, but that doesn't take away their femaleness. They are still ordained as female. The gender is God ordained. We have that in the family proclamation and whatever the, the theme of the day, the flavor of the day concerning gender, it's not something that we choose. It's something that is chosen for us by the God of our spirits by our God. A woman who gives birth to a daughter, this concept, this idea of female ordination is confirmed in Mosaic law, which I found fascinating when this was brought forth, this recognition that in Mosaic law, a woman who gives birth to a daughter must perform twice the number of days of ritual purification than when she gives birth to a son. Now, I know that there are some people especially mainstream Christians or non-enlightened people will say, well, that's because of mother Eve. It's because of what she did, the bad things she did in the garden of Eden, but we recognize the restored gospel that she's a hero, that what she did was a divine act. But if we understand that girls arrive on the earth with the authority over ordinances of the flesh already, we see that these extra days of maternal purification are in place to isolate the newborn daughter from the outside world. And then Dr. Valerie Kassler made this point and shared this aha moment. She explained the extra time is precisely the same length of time that Aaron and his sons must isolate themselves before being ordained to the priesthood. The priestess is set apart at birth, close quote, our womanhood, our femaleness, our God ordained sacred gender. Gender was given to us in the garden of Eden. It was given, we were ordained to it long before. The second section is about the ordinances of the flesh. So we know of the ordinances of the male priesthood. We want to talk about the ordinances of the matriarch order, the priestesshood. We think about the laying on of hands when men ordain somebody or they confirm somebody there is a laying on of hands when they heal. So we recognize this as part of that ordinance. Let's think about what are some of the ordinances of the flesh. One, we simply cannot survive without the laying on of hands of our mother or other humans. We physically, we will die without the laying on of hands. In fact, babies' brains expect that they will experience nearly constant physical touch. Babies are wired that way. And it's a worldwide expectation. It's a worldwide acceptance that within that first hour of birth, a baby must have skin-to-skin contact with another 
with their mother, preferably with the father, because that is what they call a sacred hour, that that's where that attachment, that bonding is the most powerful was, is in that first hour. We need constant physical touch through the beginning of our lives, rocking, touching, nursing, listening, that cooing from our parents or from other adults. The second we are given that ordinance of the flesh is light giving as well for it awakens within each of us, the light of Christ. We were born with the light of Christ and awakened through that physical birth. It's some people call the conscience. It's different than the Holy ghost. We must be given the Holy ghost, the permanence of the Holy ghost, or we can feel the effects of the Holy ghost. We can feel the promptings, but Every single human being with their physical body were given the light of Christ to help them recognize the good and evil to start with. It's the influence of the light of Christ is preparing one to receive and recognize the Holy Ghost. It's a divine energy. It's a power, divine power and divine influence that gives life and light to all things. The third is this experiencing the pure love of the mother. And this love foreshadows the pure love of Christ and of our heavenly parents that they feel for us. It, it foreshadows, it helps us to be able to love, to comprehend love, and uh, all because that a mother loves us first. Now, so we all know, I speak in generalities, that not everybody is born with this lucky, amazing relationship with the mother. There are extremes to the pendulum, but all of us experience in some portion, I believe, or most of us experience in some portion that unconditional love. It may be affected by earthly weaknesses, experiences that the mother may have gone through. But speaking of the divinity of this, of this ordinance, this is what the direction that is meant to go in with, with women with the mothers, and it helps us to feel this light of Christ. Even when, even women and girls who have not experienced pregnancy, birth, or lactation, they still are given that incandescent love. That's a, one of the divine purposes of their gender. And this, they have this mother-like service that they regularly render. Remember Eve, mother of all living, before she gave birth, before she entered into mortality. That was her priestesshood that she was given along with Adam's priesthood. We are endowed with power. So what is an endowment? To endow is to enrich, to give to another something long lasting and of much worth. We think about our endowment in the holy temple and a type of this is found in that sacred hour that I spoke of earlier, that first hour of a child's birth. This is child's first earthly experience in attachment. And it's sacred because this is the time when the newborn and mother are biologically primed to bond. This is, in a, in a sense, the child's endowment, that first sacred hour, that endowment of bond, of attachment. This unique time with her supports optimal brain development, promotes the infant's self-regulation over time, and protects the newborn from the well-documented negative effects of separation. Does that sound like the temple endowment? It helps us, it counter helps protect us from the negative effects of the separation we have from our heavenly parents. She likens the endowment in the temple where we are washed, anointed and clothed in the robes of holy priesthood and given a new name. And she likens the birth to that as well, where soon after infants are born, washed, 
anointed, clothed, and given a new name. The anointment that she refers to here is where much of the world, maybe not necessarily all of the world, the babies are given an anointment of of an antibiotic in their eyes soon after birth. So it is an anointment and that's, but all the others are pretty similar, right? With the clothing anointing and and a new name, a different name than what we were referred to in our pre-mortal state with our heavenly parents. I just want to say thank you so much for joining me. If you have any comments please, please, please let me know what you thought of this episode. Do you agree that it's considered a priestesshood? Do you think that these are considered ordinances and sacraments? Am I being blasphemous for sharing this essay with you? What are your thoughts about women and the priesthood? I I would love to hear from you. So please reach out, send me an email at, at RamonaSitaway at gmail.com reach out to me on my website. And um, thank you again for joining me and have a divine day.